Hello and welcome to the Geek Standing Boyle Retrospective Podcast, where our UK team will be looking through the entire cinematic work of director Danny Boyle in chronological order, from his 1995 debut Shallow Grave to this year's Trainspotting 2. We'll have a new podcast up every Wednesday and every Saturday leading up to the US release of T2 on March the 17th. Warning, this podcast contains strong language and spoilers throughout, and Geeks and Tessellate do not represent any of the companies or creative talents involved with any of these films. This podcast is 100% unofficial and independent. Geeks! Geeks! Hello and welcome to episode 12, the final episode, well, penultimate in a way, but final movie in our Danny Ball retrospective podcast where we've gone through all of Danny Ball movies from his 1995 debut Shallow Grave. Up until now, Train Spotting 2, uh, all leading up to its American release on March the 17th. I'm your host, Al White, and joining me for all the Danny Boyle movies is... Alison Holland. And... Harukabe. Make that noise again. <laughs> 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 that is Haruka's official test the mic noise <laughs> before we start a podcast. It is. How are you guys doing? Well, how are you? We're at the end of our journey. Yep. We made it. All 12 films in the bag done um so just be clear there will be one more uh episode of this podcast series where we'll be rounding up everything uh looking back at the entire filmography picking putting them in order of our very favorites to our least favorite picking out maybe our favorite characters favorite scenes we should make like a criteria with the horror ones i tend to make a criteria of like what's your favorite kill what's your favorite design for the villain what's your favorite sex scene whatever dumb thing it is that the horror films are revolving around Mm. we should decide with danny boyle um, Categories. What, yeah, what our criteria should be that we mm. we're picking our favorites. What's your favorite Ewan McGregor look? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely cut. the belly shirt, the yellow, the little <laughs> club <laughs> midriffs. Ewan McGregor. So ridiculous. Best look. So funny. So here we are. Um, perfect place to end a Danny Ball podcast because we're rounding back to not his first film but his second film, um, and definitely the one that really broke him through. Um, a, a classic of our times of train spotting, and to come full circle to it, 20 years later, um, I think it's actually technically it's 21 years later, isn't it? I think, but is that right? When was it? Because it was 96, I think, wasn't it? Train spotting, yes. Um, so technically, I think it's 21 years later, but set 20 years later, directed, of course, by Danny Boyle, based again upon Irvin Welsh. Um, so it's based, I was looking into this, it's based upon parts of the original train spotting book that weren't covered in the original film. It's based upon parts of the sequel that Irvin Welsh wrote called Porno, which was never turned into a movie. Um, and then there's other bits that they've made up themselves um, for where they wanted the characters to get to and stuff Danny Boyle wanted to deal with. Adapted again by John Hodge, who had adapted the original Train Spotting, had adapted Shallow Grave, had worked on Life Less Ordinary, The Beach, um, and then had been absent from Danny Boyle's life until Trance, um, which Yay. was. A less successful <laughs> reunion. What a movie to go back to. Uh, so you then worked with Aaron Sorkin, obviously, for Steve Jobs, and now he's back to familiar territory. Um, starring everybody. Yep. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> I mean, it's everybody from the first one. John Lillian yeah. Miller, Ewan McGregor, Ewan Bremner, Robert Carlyle, Shirley Henderson, um, Elijah Wolf. Uh, like literally everybody comes mm. back the same parents come back the yeah. same girlfriends come back um, we even have uh, my, my favourite god I've forgotten her name now your Kelly. girlfriend yeah uh, Kelly McDonald yeah yeah K- 
Kelly McDonald comes back. Irvin Welsh is in there as well, uh, reprising his role as Mikey Forrester. Um, yeah, one of the biggest cinematic reunions, I think, after two decades. Um, yeah. And I, I have to say, right off the bat, I think the most remarkable thing about this film is they all look great. Yeah, they do. <laughs> True. I've never seen a film where you come back to the same characters, even a decade later, where they look this good. And there's always at least going to be, you know, well, well, that one looks good, but the rest... <sighs> <laughs> you know, either put on too much weight or they just look really old or they just look tired or they don't have the energy everyone in this film I don't know what they did yeah. but they, they all they all had very successful careers haven't they most of um, them anyway yeah Spud hasn't so much yeah. I think and he yeah. looked exactly the same yeah he True. did I was expecting to come back that might just be genetically he's just <laughs> genetically that dude. is him but look at them all there in the uh, in that poster Aww, they, that's they, they, they really do look yeah, so exactly clear the same. who is who and they all look the same. Mm. It's all set in the toilet. It's all the whole film <laughs> set in the toilet. It'd be like the phone booth movie, but set in the toilet. <laughs> um, all right, so this movie cost $18 million to make. Okay. Mm. So still sticking in his upper echelons that he's got to, not quite as much as Steve Jobs was by far the most with $30 million, didn't I say? I think last week. Mm, yeah, I think so. Sounds about right. Yeah, $30 million for Steve Jobs, but he had been around that 18 20 million for quite a while mm, yeah. um however the original train spotting uh let me just remind myself yeah cost 3.5 million pounds that's wow. about five million dollars maybe so this is a huge increase obviously there's inflation as well and blah 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 so it's mm-hmm. going to cost more but we also have digital formats now true so true. it is kind of cheaper to make movies as well true um but yeah we're talking about uh, three times as much mm-hmm. um, as the first one this cost to make well the actors are probably three times as that is also true that is true um uh we don't have we normally hear talk about how well it did obviously it hasn't come out yet in america um but it has been doing well uh everywhere else at the moment it has uh foreign it's reached in 25 and a half million dollars which is very very good um we were just doing the charts on the regular geeks podcast this week and it was just out of the top 20 in the worldwide grosses or 21 yeah which considering it hasn't had its u.s release yet is good Mm. Um, but yeah so we'll see we'll probably um, by the time well actually no by the time we've done our roundup we won't have those figures in but if you listen to our weekly podcast we'll be reporting on how well it does in America anyway um, so yeah critically though done really well mm. people love this movie uh, a lot of people saying it's better than the original at least a great counterpart to the original Irvine Welsh himself came out and says he thinks in many ways it's a better film than the original um, and it cements all of the characters in our popular culture. He's even talking about doing a train spotting three. Wow. Um, and yeah, when we went, we went to see this film at a premiere. Um, well, not the premiere, but a sort of preview of it um, before it had officially come out properly in the UK, like a couple of days before. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't checked out any reviews of it at that point, so we went in very fresh to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I was very interested to see how people were reacting to it when I got out. Oh, there's a buzz at the door. That means some food has appeared. Oh, exciting. It's probably going to be cookies. So here's the thing, guys. We just ordered some foods. <laughs> we ordered Ben's cookies, which if you're in London and you want some cookies, if you're in England, Ben's cookies is the best chain cookies you can get in England. I agree. Right? Yep. Yes. They're better independent ones, but for chain cookies. Yeah. But you want to get them when they're fresh. You want to get them when they're hot. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they get a bit stale. They're nice and crunchy, and then they're all soft in the middle. And it's yep. all gooey and delicious. Mm-hmm. We just did like Deliveroo, which is like Postmates in America, so it'll bring them to your door. Um, but you can't pick which cookies you want. Oh. All you can do is pick how many assorted do you want. 
Huh. It's a basic package, just like eight assorted cookies. So I have no idea Ooh, what we're getting. Exciting. And I have no idea how fresh they're going to be. They've just been delivered, so I guess they're not going to be warm. We're going to mm. open them on the podcast and find out. <laughs> see what we get. Those will be Ali's first bang cookies, so Ooh. I'm hoping they're going to be a good representation because I have had one or two bad ones. Really? Yeah, just what they've got. Got too stole, stale and cold. Yes, Ali, we're going to review them on the podcast. <laughs> this is now going to be a cookie podcast, so <laughs> we don't need to talk about transponding too. So we do have to say up front, we saw this, yeah, like I said, at this preview, it was a few weeks ago now. What was the exact date? Oh, do you remember? Um, yeah, I've got it in my diary here. It was like two, three weeks we ago. We saw this on the 27th yeah, right of after January. Yeah, 27th uh, January. So we actually, we had the, we watched this right when we were beginning our podcast because Alison hadn't seen any of them. Trainspotting 2 was coming out in England first. She saw Trainspotting 1 and Trainspotting 2 on the same day for the very first time. Um, so I really, it puts you, Ali, in this very unique position. Yes. To have never seen Trainspotting 1, see it for the very first time, and then straight away afterwards, we had an hour's break maybe in the middle, go straight into seeing Trainspotting 2. Yep. So mm. I do really value your opinion on it. I really you shouldn't. do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're wrong. But I'm you're wrong. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the only problem with us is like we had to make a decision: do we record the podcast at that point, or do we not? And we chose not to. Or I chose not to because I wanted us to look at his films one by one in the order he did them and treat them objectively like that. Uh, we haven't had time, sadly, to go back and see it again in the cinema, which I would have wanted to do just to refresh our brains. Um, but we've been reading up about it, watching the trailers and stuff and refreshing our memories. So I'm trying to make notes. So we're not, we have sadly had the big conversation about <laughs> this already, but we're going to try and recreate it on this podcast. More importantly. Cookies. Cookies. Ben's cookies. Ben's cookies. I did decide this morning if it's important at all. My opinion that I just told you is not important, but I decided that I'm happy we waited until the very, very end to do this podcast. Interesting. Because lots of scores and opinions have changed for me. Not opinions oh. that have changed, but there was a lot of shuffling around. Interesting. So here's something cool, apparently, when you order some Vance cookies. You get a nice tin. Ooh. Ooh. But does that mean it was in the tin to begin with? Exactly. That's what I'm worried about. What we were just mm -hmm. saying, could you hear us, Ali, when we're talking about it? Yeah, that you have to have them fresh. fresh you have to get them, them there. And nuts. There's a card. Ooh. It's nuts in it. Uh -oh. We've got some little... Little handkerchiefs. I wish we were filming this podcast. This is, this is delightful. <laughs> okay, 100% cold. Oh. No warm cookies here. Boo. So That's these aren't going to be the best. We've got There's the old. No we got the old white Ooh. chocolate double chip thing. They're pretty. We got the old chocolate walnut. Nuts. We got the hazelnut white chocolate. More nuts. Um, we have what looks like cranberries. Hmm. And white chocolate. Hmm. A lot of white chocolate. Here. Okay. Then here we've got a regular chocolate chip. Don't think that's an orange one. I think that's just nice dark chocolate. Not a white chocolate. <laughs> just regular. So you uh, were saying you don't choose the flavors. You just say yeah, you this just say. many assorted. This one looks like a milk chocolate. I don't know if it's orange. I really like the milk and orange. And I also really like the ginger one. This one looks like it could be ginger. With the milk chocolate. I don't know. Not sure. I'll tell you what. We're just going to have to eat them and find out. <laughs> <laughs> What a horrible oh, assignment. Mm. Oh my god. Wow. <laughs> what cookie do I try first? The chocolate looks melty. It's not warm. Definitely not warm. Mm. Here we go. 
<laughs> is that the ginger smile. one or is that just a chocolate one? I no, this is just a milk chocolate. I don't want to eat. <laughs> the most annoying sound to listen to in a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> a microphone. It is a cookie okay. and it is delicious. It is a good cookie. Very soft. I'm going to need to get a drink in a second. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah, obviously this was all of our first time seeing this film. So we all have an, uh, fresh eyes, as Alberto would fresh say. Eyes. Fresh, fresh eyes. Fresh eyes. <laughs> um, what is the synopsis, though, for this movie? Oh, boy. How do you sum up <laughs> this film? It has a pretty strange plot, to be honest. Um, it was not what I was expecting from a sequel to Trainspotting. The official synopsis is, after 20 years abroad, Mark Renton returns to Scotland and reunites with his old friend, sick boy Spud and Begbie. <laughs> <laughs> we Sounds have like so much trouble trip. with the names again <laughs> we had so much trouble with the names of the first one mm. um so sony pictures entertainment have their official storyline first there was an opportunity then there was a betrayal 20 years have gone by much has changed but just as much remains the same mark renton played by ewan mcgregor returns to the only place he can ever call home and they are waiting for him spud ewan bremner sick boy johnny lee miller and begbie robert Carlyle. Other old friends are waiting too. Sorrow, loss, joy, vengeance, hatred, friendship, love, longing, fear, regret, demorphine, <laughs> self-destruction, and mortal danger. They are all lined up to welcome him, ready to join the dance. Hmm. Just looking at the plot keywords here on IMDb. Old friends reunited. Drugs. Sequel. Ex-boyfriend. Ex-boyfriend? Yeah. Hmm. Well, I guess he is an ex-boyfriend to Kelly. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah, I suppose. Language, English, and Bulgarian. There is indeed some Bulgarian in this. Because hmm. we do have a new um, character in the film. There aren't many new characters, really. Um, Veronica. Veronica, yeah. Who is played by... Where is she? Wow, she's not even on that top list of the cast here. Really? Angela Nedialkova. Nedialkova? Nedialkova. Yeah. Um, who was in Harve, The Paradise Suite, Eastern Plays. I've never seen her before in any of these. TV show called Liaisons. Hmm. Interesting. Um, right. So, everyone got some notes? We're going to start working our way through the plot. <laughs> I went into this, let me say, um, really excited. I feel like really excited. I was kind of nervous just from a emotional point of view because I'm at the age where this can only happen a certain amount of times in my life. And it hasn't happened before where, where yeah, where I saw the first one at 15 or whatever, exactly around the right age and it was such a big thing for my generation. And then nothing for 20 years. And then to have it again with the same music, the same actors, the same director, it, it really was like all the trailers were like this little black hole that would take me back to being a teenager and all of those smells and feelings and stuff. And, mm. and I was a little bit scared of watching it about how it would make me feel and if it would really just take me back too much in time and be um yeah just too emotional really but i was excited about it because of danny boyle mm -hmm. you just come off steve jobs which i fucking really do love even though i had problems with it at the time um and yeah just excited to see everybody back again it's so rare to get that mm -hmm. were you excited or were you dubious i was quite excited actually because you know i really loved the first one and yeah like you said you know i was kind of hoping that um it'll bring me back to the 
you know, the youthful days and <laughs> your youth. Yeah, and it is quite unusual to like have that, you know, like because sequels normally happen like two or three years after the first one, and this one's like from twenty years, and so it's kind of like real time in a way, which is really yeah, it's a cool, no, it is real cool time. idea. Yeah, all they happen at this point, and it's kind of like one character handing over the baton from the original series to a new, like rebooting it, but with the blessing of the old characters kind mm. of thing, which this yeah. definitely isn't mm-hmm. at all. Ali, having just seen Trainspotting 1 and going straight <laughs> into Trainspotting bit. 2, were you excited going into like more of the same story, or were you feeling... Yeah, I was excited. I was interested to see how they were going to handle technology, just yeah. because there was such a... It's not the type of sequel where they have new actors and it takes place just one or two years later. It's everyone's the same and it's 20 years later and a lot has changed. So I was curious to see how they were going to handle everything, if they were going to use it at all or if they were just going to ignore it but still live in this world. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Out of interest, is it something, because you obviously saw this, this was your th- you know, third or fourth Danny Boyle film that mm-hmm. you had seen at the time. Is it something where now at the end of watching all of his... Are you interested to go back to it again at some point to kind of judge it in a different way? Or I, The only reason I would want to go back and rewatch it is to refresh my memory just because I feel so much more, obviously, you know, I understand Danny Boyle way more having now seen all of them mm-hmm. versus this was the third one. So it was still like I was still trying to figure out, OK, well, I've seen that in the first three, but then you also see different things and see more of the same things in the later ones. So. I would want to go back to see if I catch new things that I didn't catch the first time that feel Danny Boyle. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a Danny Boyle movie. Definitely. It's kind of, yeah, would be good to go back to it. But just as a movie, you saw it in a very fair light. Like you said, like you've seen Train Spawning for the first time and then Train Spawning 2. That's a very fair, objective way to yeah. be able to judge this movie. The hard mm. part, though, is Train Spawning was so, was such a hit for when it came out, like what you were saying. And so I think which I don't, we're not going to get into every, how everyone feels about it yet until mm-hmm. the end, I'm assuming. But because I didn't see this right when it came out, right when it was important and right when everyone was freaking out about it, it was a different experience for me, I think, watching it three weeks ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just for time period and things that are happening in my life. And I don't do a lot of drugs, so I don't really know <laughs> <laughs> if it's right or not. But... But that's what I mean. I think that's really valid because a lot of people will just be coming. Like, there'll be a whole generation now who go, what is a strange spotting 2 film? So and then the they might go one. and see the first one first yeah. or they might see this and then go back and watch the first one. Who knows? I think it definitely affects how you feel about the second one. Yeah. Mm. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I will say right now, if you're listening to this for some reason you haven't seen Train Spotting 1 and Train Spotting 2 is coming out and you're thinking about going to see it, don't. Like, do what's mm. Train Spotting 1 before you see Train Spotting 2. Mm. Yeah. I think it would be crazy just to walk into this movie. And I have no idea how it would feel if you've never seen Train Spotting 1 mm-hmm. to see this movie. Um, I mean, that so would have been. You definitely need to see the first one. Oh, yeah, definitely. That would have been the other way to do this with you, would have been just to take you Train Spotting 2 and not letting you have seen Train Spotting <laughs> 1 at that point, just to like. We can go back in time. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, so let's get into the meat of it. Um, we're going to be following through the plot on Wikipedia and jumping in in places because it definitely misses out stuff that I want to talk about. Um, I've kind of separated my notes into things I like and things I didn't like. One of the lists is longer than the other. That's mm. what I'm saying. <laughs> um, here we go. So after 20 years of estrangement, Mark Renton returns home to Edinburgh from Amsterdam where he lives with his wife. His father lives alone since the death of Mark's mother, Daniel Spud Murphy struggles with his heroin ad- addiction and its legacy, which impacts on his long-suffering partner, Gail, and their son, Fergus. 
Simon Sickboy Williamson continues to live a life of crime and dodgy dealing, working as landlord of a pub in Leith called Port Sunshine, bequeathed to him by his aunt, while pursuing a sideline in blackmail and growing cannabis plants in the basement. Francis Franco Begbie is serving a 25-year prison sentence and has just been denied parole due to his violent temper. After visiting his father and stopping by his old bedroom, Mark goes to visit Spud at his flat, finding him in a desperate condition. So let's deal with the intro then, how we're introduced back to these characters. So this is something for me that when we're talking about with Danny Boyle, he has great openers a mm-hmm. lot of the time. Not every time, but he does like to come in bold, you know, loud music, fast edits, a lot of time of voiceover. Mm-hmm. Full of energy normally. Yeah. Yep. Um, and this was a film where obviously jumping back into train spotting, that was always the question. Like, how is he going to deal with it? Is he going to try and recapture the energy of the original one? Mm. Or is he going to do something completely different with it? Because these are characters that are now very much in their middle age group, if not further. Um, and I was fascinated with how he was going to start it. And I am, like, very... I do scrutinize movies right from the first second. I'm like, you know, like when we saw Logan last night, I was like, please let the first 10 seconds be amazing. Like, please let that first shot be really cool. Which was a good shot in Logan. It wasn't amazing, but it was cool. Um, and with train spawning, I was really, really, yeah, putting quite a lot of pressure on it for how it started. Mm-hmm. So we start with him on the treadmill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and Amsterdam, he's running in so. Amsterdam, yeah. yeah. Um, and he's running to, isn't it the uh, Prodigy version of the Iggy Pop Lust for Life, or is it something different? I'm trying to remember. Trying I think to it was, yeah, I think you're right. Um, I feel like it, yeah, it was. Yeah. Cause they bring it in again then at the end. Yeah. Um, and then we're getting clips of other things around it. And this is where my memory, I have to admit, is a bit hazy. I was trying to remember the exact details of this opening. I remember being a little bit uh, annoyed with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember what it was doing narratively. But I remember like we had clips of him running, but then we're having shots of other things happening. Um, and I can't remember if they are the characters or if there are other things around the world, like crowds of people and stuff. I think it was like crowds of people, maybe. Yeah. Um, it felt like a, like this not slumdog the um 127 kind of beginning yeah um so i remember being immediately turned off by that personally because you have this cool thing of him running but he's on a treadmill now which i thought was a great way to update the beginning of him running but in real life as he youth on the streets of edinburgh before Mm -hmm. um and then he slips off it and it's funny and distressing at the same time but for me, they've already kind of ruined the impact of that by editing it in with these other things. Mm-hmm. As if either Danny Ball's too restless or too uncertain or he doesn't have the conviction to completely go through with his idea mm. of starting on the treadmill. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's trying to distract us with other stuff that doesn't mean much to the point where I can't even remember now <laughs> what the other shots mm. were. Um, how are you guys with coming straight in on this? Um, I didn't really like the shot. I just, I just didn't like the colours and the, the way it was shot and yeah, the set was not very like pretty. Yeah. Um, and I think, because for me, um, one of the best things about Danny Boyle film is the visuals and the first shot didn't really grip me. Um, and I think you were very upset that there was no voiceover yeah. um, at the and I felt the same way and like, I think it should have opened with voiceover because that immediately changes the style of the film yeah um, I don't actually Ali let's get your refresh opinion quickly well, yeah going off of that just because with train spotting, you're in his head the whole time <coughs> from the beginning so if it's all the same characters and 
just how their lives have changed, you would think he would do the same thing, mm-hmm. and you would still be in the same character's yeah. head yeah. to follow him on the story yeah. twenty years later. I so mean, it is, yeah, it is strange that you get that in the first one, yeah. and this is the exact same people, seemingly the same relationships with each other and mm-hmm. issues, just based off of what happened twenty years ago. But you're no longer in the head of yeah. the person you were in. I mean, it could have been that you know because he's older, he thinks. A bit less than he used to in his head. Like, you know, <laughs> what are you saying? You because you know, like, <laughs> you know, when you're younger, you're t- you tend to like bubble a lot and stuff. Whereas maybe when you're older, you the drugs. Just, but the thing is, it's yeah. like you, I mean, you're always thinking in your head about something, and like yeah. I just feel at some point it definitely has to have been obviously a decision that yeah. the filmmakers made. Yeah. So they must have had a reason. And I scoured interviews to try and find someone talking about that. I couldn't. I'm sure he said something about it somewhere. I couldn't find him explaining why. Right. But it's such a central thing of train spotting, and obviously Daniel Ball seems to have gone off the voiceovers further through his career. Because mm. um, yeah, it is a cheap, like narrative technique. Mm-hmm. It's the easiest way, yeah. and some screenwriters sneer at that. Yeah. yeah, but it's also how the way the first book was written. I think. Yeah, as well. sort of first person. It's all like first person. I think diary kind of. Way yeah, and I think it was all like written in with a Scottish accent. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, and stuff. So it's a very strong style that was very truthful to the original. Gives a lot of character material. immediately. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't like honestly. Right at the beginning, I just don't understand why. I can understand why he's kind of like editing the way he is. I don't. Yeah, I'm saying to you, I didn't really like the shots and the colors. It felt very digital immediately mm-hmm, to yeah. me. Um, but it's a digital age, so you know True. it makes sense. It's fine. But he made digital Steve Jobs look beautiful. So, um. But yeah, why did I do a voiceover? I don't understand in any way. Like, no matter how I might feel about the movie, that's something I just can't comprehend that decision because it is something that is so important in the first film. Um, And so many lines from that VO are quoted again and again. And the only reason I can think is because he wanted this one to feel more like an ensemble rather than Rent Boy's story. Right. Um, Which some people might like, some people might not. For me, I, I need an in on these characters I need something particularly after 20 years like there's too much information to catch up on I need to understand where they're at in their head and it's a pervading thing for me for the rest of the film of like I don't get where Rent Boy's at for most of this film because I'm not really included on his inner monologue Mm. um so that yeah it's a frustrating decision for me there is a point where Vio comes in on this (laughs) film but we'll talk about that later when we get to it and that just makes it even more confusing to me as to why it's not there for the rest. Mm-hmm. That VO does happen in this movie, mm-hmm. um, but in a pretty, for me, obvious way for why mm-hmm. it's there in the movie. Right. But yeah, we'll get to that later. Um, so yeah, I'm immediately feeling a bit turned off from the beginning. Uh, we then get introduced to the other characters, and they do that pretty much straight away. We jump to Begbie um, in prison, mm-hmm. and we jump to Spud, and we see him like dealing with like his things. Um, I, again for me it's like it's been 20 years when you meet these characters again it's such an opportunity to give big cool exciting moments when you when he comes across them again and rent boy who's been away from these characters is the audience so it's perfect to him coming back to these characters for him to be our conduit to meeting them again mm-hmm. but instead they choose to leave rent boy and cut to separate scenes with these characters now in the original train spawning you did get separate scenes with characters without rent boy in it mm-hmm. so i understand there's a precedent for that but it just seems such an easy writing technique of like he's like he's going back there to so let him go to them one by one and introduce us back to their world and yeah. as they join in. 
Instead, we jump straight to Begbie, and it's really because Begbie's not a side character in this movie. He is at least as big a character as Rent Boy, mm-hmm. I think, in this movie. Yeah. Um, and he's in prison, and he's immediately violent and funny, <laughs> um, abusing his parole officer, isn't it? Or his lawyer or something, I'm not sure. Um, as he goes from over the table and they have to restrain oh, yeah, him and yeah. Um, but for me for me I'm just immediately kind of pissed off because I'm like you've missed great opportunities here and we have a great thing later on when he meets up with um, uh, Sick Boy with Johnny Lee Miller Mm -hmm. Um, and that's the kind of moment you know and they're across the pool table and they're sort of standing looking at each other and that's like that's a cool moment in this movie and they had the opportunity to do that again and again and again and for me they diffuse that immediately by going oh no here are all those characters let's get them out of the way quickly Mm. and you know, all, you know, you've been so excited to see them again for 20 years. It, it was just, it felt too urgent and it felt like they didn't realize the power that they could have had mm-hmm. with those scenes for me. Um, how about you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you hadn't had 20 years of waiting to see these characters. Yeah. Again. So. I had about 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, my favorite reunion was with Spud. Even just, just because. Love with Spud. I, I mean, <laughs> I love Spud to death, but. I, it's also, that's the, the very Danny Boyle thing where he takes a situation that's normally tragic or difficult and he makes it funny, whether it's through shots or soundtrack or just what they're doing, which he's committing suicide with a bag and then Ewan runs in and he just immediately like vomits in the bag and it's so quick and I yep. think that's one of the times that I like jumped a bit and then laughed for some reason because... Why would that not be funny? <laughs> um, yeah, that was my favorite reunion. Okay. So just setting Bigby up right at the beginning like this, which is clearly what they're doing, which is as a villain. Yeah. But as a f- sort of funny villain, mm-hmm. you're meant to be scared of him and laugh at him at the same time. And then at points feel sad for him, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it's kind of like... I feel films do this a lot when they come to their sequels. When a film gets really baked into popular culture... Like, for instance, let's look at, um, what's it called? Agent Smith? Is that who's called in Matrix? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In the first film, he's a side character. And because Hugo Weaving did this great rendition of him, did this weird voice and stuff, and he mm-hmm. has one scene, really, which he just steals. Mm-hmm. And everyone loves that one scene because it's precious because it's like a little diamond and it's a great film, but there's one something that's really different and weird. And, mm. and people quoted him all the time, you know, and did the weird voice to the point that then that feeds back to the filmmakers... So that then when they're making the sequels, it's like, well, people love this character. Let's mm. make this character a bigger deal. Right. But by the time they do that, then in the in the sequels to The Matrix, Hugo Weaving's character is, A, he shouldn't be the big baddie in The Matrix. Mm-hmm. He's just like an agent. And B, he becomes a cartoon character of himself. Right. You know, because he's fed through the popular culture of people doing his voice. And then when he does it again, if you watch his scenes in like the third Matrix film compared to a scene in the first, it's not the same. Because right. he's exaggerating it to the point that other people have done and built upon. Mm-mm-mm. And for me, films do this all the time when they come to sequels. Um, and that's kind of how I feel about a lot of the characters here. Is kind of, so. Like, well, what do people love from the first one? They've been in popular culture for 20 years. Let's put how they become exaggerated back into the characters. And mm-hmm. Begbie is by far a very exaggerated version of who yeah. he was to begin with. Like, he was always extreme and crazy, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But putting him as a lead sort of character... And just being in a rush, like, it's the first scene. We have to show he's really violent straight away. I really like that scene with Spud that you're talking about. But again, it's like the first proper scene with Spud. We have to show he's still 
a mess <laughs> and like he might not be shitting the bed anymore but he's just throwing up into a bag <laughs> when he's trying to stick it himself it's a really good scene yeah but it is them kind of like turning the characters almost into parodies of themselves mm-hmm. I think at least with Begbie for me it's justified because he's just really fucking pissed off and you know that he has that kind of temper from the first one so it makes sense that he yeah it's super accelerated and just out of control but mm-hmm. that's how he was in the first one yeah. And so now he's just pissed because we took the money and he something happened to him that he didn't have control over that he didn't successfully kill the person who did it to them or whatever he would have done. Mm. And then he's had all this time to just sit and think about it and get more angry. Yeah. Was he in prison because of that robbery? Or not robbery, the cocaine? Uh, oh, he... He talks later about murdering someone. Right, yeah. right. Uh, but that was in prison or was it out i'm trying to remember now i think he was definitely in prison from before and then he did stuff which then right so it elongates extends, his sentence yeah. and made it worse kind of thing right um yeah i'm with you i'm just i just it's when i'm looking at these characters i'm thinking 20 years have passed i'm trying to think how many of them have changed yeah and they all seem to be basically exactly the same mm. other than you and mcgregor when you first meet him who seems like he's kind of got his shit together. Yeah. And he seems like he's more sort of in a good place. And he, when he meets with, you know, um, sick boy, he lies to him and tells him that he's in this marriage and he's got kids and blah, blah, blah. And then it turns out later he doesn't have kids and he's actually going for a divorce and stuff. Um, but he's the only one that seems to have moved on with his life because mm-hmm. he got out and going back to the bubble of Edinburgh, everyone's just remained in stasis kind of thing. And it's still the same, mm-hmm. which I guess is, you know, if that's what they're trying to say, that works mm. but for me it was just kind of um i was more interested in where these characters might have evolved to over 20 years mm. you know yeah, I, my problem with begbie was that you know you'd think that after 20 years of being in prison you would become a bit like a different person yeah. like either way 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 yeah. more violent or you would have toned everything down and exactly tried, like, learn how to blend in or you would have rethought your life or found a religion yeah. something new yeah you either be a new person or a completely broken person yeah. but that Begbie felt like exactly the same guy yeah it almost felt like there no years has passed yeah. in between i agree it could um, have been like say a month later from the first yeah one, pretty much yeah um okay so then we get to um yeah, him meeting up with everybody, him going to visit Spud, who's trying to commit suicide by taping a plastic bag around his head. Um, Mark then breaks the door down to save Spud, who initially does not welcome the intervention, but wants Mark uh, to help him out of his heroin addiction and to reconcile with Simon, who remains angry with Mark for betraying him. Um, this is one of my favorite bits in the movie. I like the bits between Spud and Jim McGregor, mm-hmm. uh, but particularly this movie, this movie, this moment, where he does save him because we get a really traditionally train spotting mm-hmm. scene where it's kind of surreal and he's diving underneath him and you see Spud suddenly falling from the top of a building um, and then yeah you and McGregor just sort of gracefully sliding underneath yeah. like to like grab him and stuff and it's really beautifully filmed it's mm-hmm. done well with the music and mm-hmm. it feels like yeah Danny Boyle doing what he does best yeah definitely definitely um, which for me yeah, sadly, there haven't been any other moments up until this point in the movie that were mm-hmm. like that kind of thing. Um, okay, so then Mark goes to visit Simon at Port Sunshine, and we get that cool scene we were talking about before, where they're over the pool table, 
Um, and then they just start, uh, well, though initially Simon greets Mark warmly, inquiring about his life in Amsterdam, the meeting soon develops into a full-scale fight, with both using weapons such as beer glasses and pool cues on each other. Um, while there's a guy just like singing, drinking at the bar, <laughs> <laughs> he just refuses to get The only regular. Uh, Mark has a vision of a girl holding his head while lying unconscious on the pool table and wakes up to find Simon taking cocaine. Um, Mark gives Simon a package containing £4,000 and tells Simon it's the share of the drug deal proceeds that Mark stole 20 years earlier. So, uh, I mean, I know we've kind of touched on it already, but like how you, with where these characters have been at in terms of just still 20 years later holding this grudge with him, I actually feel that's one of the more, most believable bits of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in terms of yeah like you would like anything bad like bad things are going to happen in their lives mm-hmm. because that's the characters they were and the paths they're already on but you'd always go back and blame it on that moment of like that yeah. was my out i could have been living a better life kind of thing yeah and this guy stole it from me yeah um so i feel that resentment would be yeah yeah and also ooh. more food more, more food, food. <laughs> um, i don't know if anyone can hear the bell going otherwise <laughs> it's just us screaming every now more food um yeah um what was i saying oh food distracted me big time we're talking about um oh yeah 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 yeah. Yeah, that um you know how sometimes you think that you've forgiven someone and you've moved on but then you know like once you you're talking to that person face to face it kind of all like brings back yeah yeah so i thought that was quite believable and what's interesting was it's because you get this idea from the two of them that they're the best of friends and having watched Trainspotting 1 that day, they're not the best of friends. No. Like and he makes it even, he even says it in Trainspotting 1 of like, none of us would be friends if it wasn't for heroin. Mm-hmm. Like he makes it yeah. very clear, like we're only friends because of this thing that we yeah. do. Um, so it's kind of weird how they play it in this. Like they, they played the relationship between them, like the mm-hmm. relationship between the audience and the film mm. in terms of like, you're so happy to see each other, even though there's this kind of resentment buried in him for what he did. Mm-hmm. They want to be friends. Um, and there is this kind of, and they do play on that a few times with the girlfriend of Sick Boy, uh, Veronica, who's kind of like, you two clearly just want to have sex with each mm-hmm. other, you should just go <laughs> do it kind of thing. There's a weird bromance yeah. between them, which I kind I don't, I get it. I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know if I get it from either side. Mm-hmm. Like I feel Sick Boy would purely be resentful about this. And I feel Ewan McGregor, well, we're about to get to it, but I don't believe at all the narrative that happens with Ewan McGregor in this film. Mm-hmm. Doesn't Sick Boy initially say that he like has this plan that he's going to like be chummy with him, with Ewan McGregor, and yeah. be friends with him, but go behind his back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like his whole thing is like a long con on him and fuck him over and he tells Veronica about it. Um, but again, like I don't know. I mean, if I can play that at face value and then believe I get him throughout the film, he gradually he finds that friendship mind. again. Yeah. Um, but I feel even when he's saying it at the beginning, he's kind of convincing himself because he wants to allow this guy back into his life and he wants yeah. to be friends. So he, he comes up, well, the only reason I can have is if I fuck him over. Um, so I feel even at the beginning, it's kind of 50-50 with Sick Boy, where it's like, yeah, he has this plan of I'm going to be pretend to be friends with him, fuck him over. But he's also does want to be friends with him. Yeah, I think he's missed having a positive influence in his life. And mm. that's kind of how they portray Ewan McGregor. It's like he was the light of them all and he was the positive one of them all right but you was transporting one it's like nope he really wasn't like he's the one where sick boy's baby dies in transporting one and he's there just and he just screams at rent boy just fucking say something and rent boy's like i'm gonna go shoot up 
Like, there's not... He wasn't the leader of the group. He yeah, wasn't, no. like, the light of it. They were just a collective mess mm-hmm. of people who didn't really care about each other. Right. So I find it hard to buy into this sort of nostalgic idea of they're all best buddies and mm-hmm. stuff. And, um, if it wasn't for that one thing Renboy had done, they would have all been great. Um, but anyway. Well, but what's interesting with that is, like, even Spud, who got money at the end of it, also holds a grudge just because... He has that line where he's talking to you and is like, of course, like, why would you leave me that money? You knew exactly what I was going to do with it. I was a heroin addict. Yeah. So he's still holding a grudge for a completely different reason where the other ones who are, I think Spud is willing to admit he has a problem and the other ones are just totally unwilling to do it and they'd rather have the money Yeah. versus Spud who's willing to acknowledge it and be like, why would you give a drug addict that much money? Yeah, uh, well, do. that's the one relation I I believe that more. Like, I think Spud did look up to Rent Boy, mm-hmm. um, even though he shouldn't have. Um, and I feel Ewan McGregor, obviously, he, you know, he does the, his one nice deed at the end of Trainspotting One is to Spud. So, yeah, I believe that more in terms of Spud would be resentful of, look, I just wanted you and I wanted you to help me get out and uh, you should have taken me with you. Yeah. Kind of mm. thing. Um, so, that one, yeah, that's more the relationship that I'm interested in, in developing. Mm-hmm. I like that they update. Sick boy's drug addiction to cocaine in this film <laughs> rather than heroin. He's kind of easing himself off over the decades right. <laughs> to different drugs. Definitely easing. Um, yeah, which definitely suits his character a lot more. And they mm. make a big. They make a big. It's weird because it's a film where they do deal with drugs in this film again, mm-hmm. but not at all in the same way they do in the first film. Oh no. Mm-hmm. They deal with Spud with his heroin addiction. They definitely bring up Sick Boy with his cocaine addiction a lot. Yep. But it doesn't seem to really be that detrimental to him most of the time. And then, and we'll get to it, but then later on in the film, Renton takes some heroin again in a weird, surreal scene where they're hanging out and then they've got like projections on the wall and stuff and they're taking heroin. Oh, yeah. And then they don't mention it again. Right. And it's very strange what the relationship is mm-hmm. with drugs in this film i'm not yeah. really sure like transporting one is very clear what the messaging is yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah. this one's very i'm not really sure what yeah. if, if, if it's trying to say anything yeah i mean um, it's there but it doesn't really seem to affect yeah people in the same way in their which lives. is just strange coming from a film that was all about that it's it's True. kind of weird if you're going to acknowledge i would say like it's you know you either do something else where you're saying something else about drugs or mm-hmm. just don't deal with that you've Mm. already done that story like do something different um, have it in the background i guess a lot of people do take drugs without it wrecking their lives yeah of course so i guess it's it is quite realistic in a way yeah um but yeah considering that it's a sequel to train spotting that's all i mean it's like they bring it in more into the conversation than i feel if it was just recreational it's behind the scenes kind of thing but they bring it in of of really of spud saying this is ruining my life still it's 20 years later but then they don't really deal with that yeah and Veronica's constantly going on about his cocaine problem, but I don't really deal with the repercussions mm. of that. And more the problem for me is Renton taking heroin at one point Mm-mm. after he's spending 20 years off of it and it clearly ruining his life beforehand. Right. And they don't make, they don't show you his decision being difficult to do it again. Mm-hmm. And they don't show you afterwards if he's tempted again, really. It's just kind of, uh, well, actually they do, don't they? Because on the bus. No, is that the first one? I get muddled now. Yeah, that's the first one. Um, (laughs) No, they just did it at one time and you don't get to see again like what really happened with him and his relationship with it. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So that kind of bothers me. Um, Anyway, Begbie purposely hospitalizes... (laughs) Hospitalizes... That is a tricky one himself. Really not. 
Shut the fuck up, you say it. Hospitalizes. There you go. <laughs> Himself and subsequently escapes, taking advantage of the low security. He briefly reunites with his wife and son and visits Simon. Simon feigns his friendship with Marcus, uh, having an ulterior motive, pretending to collaborate with Begbie, who is still out for revenge against Mark. So this is where it gets weird, because we have had the private conversation between Simon and Veronica, mm-hmm. where he tells Veronica, oh, I'm just going to pretend to be friends to fuck him over, yep. and I'm going to get my revenge. And then Begbie comes into the picture and he pretends to Begbie to be friends with Begbie that he's then going to do it. So it's like, what's his real intentions? Like, does he actually, is he actually want to be friends with Renton? Does he just want some money back? Is he trying to fuck over everybody? I don't really know. He's a complex character. <laughs> I mean, he I don't know. is trying to figure out who to trust. Mm. Okay. So he Just you, because in the first one, I think he probably would have chosen Ewan McGregor's character but after him just skipping out with all the money he's obviously confused and doesn't want to trust him but then when he sees Bagby again he's probably reminded of everything that Bagby is and does yeah 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 um okay um I don't know Mark (laughs) yeah I don't know I'm just confused I'm confused with a lot of these characters intentions mm-hmm. other than Begbie's which is very clear <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, Mark then takes Spud running um, and while looking over <laughs> Edinburgh he explains to Spud that he is an addict but that he just needs to swap his drug addiction for something else um, so this was a line from the trailer and this is one of the lines that got me excited from the trailer because the trailer looks great like there's lots of cool shots there's a great soundtrack from Wolf Alice with the song Silk which is in the film um, and they kind of do the choose life sort of thing, but they subvert it a little bit. And then and he says, look, so you're an addict. So that's just be addicted to something else. And I was fascinated with that idea with this film of that mature theme of transitioning your addictions. And, you know, you and McGregor, even though he hasn't taken heroin, he's still an addict and like can body transition that too. And I thought that was something really interesting mm-hmm. to get into. Unfortunately, I feel this is the only time they touch on it. Yeah. <laughs> and they have like yeah. his one line to him. And that's kind of it. And then they don't yeah. deal with it again. It was really throwaway, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. And it doesn't even have the impact it has in the trailer no. version of that line. No. Um, they're just kind of looking over Edinburgh in their little lycra <laughs> running shots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm still struggling with that. And throughout the whole film, we are getting these little snippets of the past. And we're getting them partly through actual literal clips from Trainspotting 1, which was an interesting decision. Mm-hmm. And then we're also getting these sort of flashbacks of them as kids on the streets and you get their real history from how young they were Mm. to, again, for me, almost a cartoonish degree of, oh, they were all friends in school and there's Mm -hmm. Begbie and you can almost like, you're cutting to these people as kids and you're almost expecting to have a moustache on as a kid or something (laughs) (laughs) because they're so obviously who they are later Mm -hmm. and they're really like just trying to show like, they're trying to give a heritage to it and that's what I mean. They're trying to give a heritage to their friendship, Mm -hmm. which may be true for where the characters come from but i didn't get that in the first train spotting right if you know what i mean like i felt they were brought together through misery i didn't feel that they'd been friends as kids Mm -hmm. in train spotting and had that connection true um yeah that school must have produced a lot of addicts (laughs) (laughs) must have been a really shitty school maybe um yeah but so, and, and this is the thing with a lot of the reviews, even the ones who love it, they have said this film, you know, it's, it's trapped in its own nostalgia mm-hmm. sometimes. Um, yeah. I read a review before seeing that 
the film in the cinema that said um what was it it's it's drenched in nostalgia that it almost drowns in it or mm-hmm. something like that um so i kind of went in because um, that was the only review i read before watching the film so i kind i kind of expected it yeah to be there and actually i didn't really mind the childhood flashback scenes or like the bits where it cut back to the first the first fun. train spotting and stuff like yeah, I guess I'm a very sucky person, so... <laughs> yeah, that's what I'd it. say about you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I didn't mind it personally. No, I didn't really mind them. Actually, yeah, I, ex- I was worried about how nostalgic it was going to be, and I kind of came away thinking I wasn't that nostalgic, really. Mm. Um, the, there were bits where it really worked for me, and it's like a bit with Spud, I remember him standing yeah. on, the, on the road, and you just see the top of his head as they're running past him and he just looks so sad but it's those bits where it comes from a melancholic place Mm. that we liked there are these other places where it's just kind of yeah a bit too cartoonish right it didn't work for me as well right right um but yeah there is actually there's a great line in the film which i think it's sick boy saying it to renton where he says you're a tourist in your own youth yeah Um, Mm -hmm. which i think is a fucking brilliant line and these are the things that i really wanted it to be discussing more but instead the film seems more concerned with discussing Begbie as a thriller action villain chasing <laughs> them down for most of the movie while having a hard on from taking too much Viagra. Oh, <laughs> yep. yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, let's keep on going because then we got, there's a lot to talk about with this movie. So let's get through the, the story. Um, Mark decides to stay in Edinburgh and visit Simon at his flat in Leith. So you know what? No, let's stop for a second. <laughs> <laughs> Because this was my first big problem with the movie. Up until this point, I'm like, look, they've filled, they've missed a lot of opportunities. They're not doing it the way I wanted it to be done. But this is my first big thing that really just fucked me off was Mark does seem to be a different person. I mean, he's been away for 20 years. And when the first film happened, he was 20, maybe 21, 22. I don't know, like, he's been, a l- he's been out of it for as long as he was in it, almost. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and he's come back and he's lied fine he's going through divorce he's going through difficult middle-aged things and then he walks out of simon's flat and then like comes back in and simon's proposing to him to start a brothel with him in this shitty pub in the middle of what looks like purgatory i don't even know what that is that place it looks like it doesn't look real um and he come, and he literally within like three sentences turns around and Ewan McGregor's just like, oh, I lied to you. I'm going for a divorce. I don't have any kids. He sits down on the sofa and he says, honestly, and he's literally before that, he's about to go and get on his plane. Mm. And then he just sits down and goes, honestly, I can't think of anything better to do mm-hmm. than to start a brothel with my old friend. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> you can't think of anything better to do than mm-hmm. to start a brothel with this guy who, you know, who just fought you because you know how much he hates you. He clearly has a vendetta with you. Mm-hmm. You're in proximity to everything poisonous from your youth heroin addiction cocaine addiction Begbie who's in a prison like nearby who can't find <laughs> out that you're in you know like in the same vicinity mm-hmm. and you can't think anything better to do that's like and the only way you can get us to buy that is if you really feel oh he's that nostalgic like he really mm. wants to go home and the only possible way that they could convince me of that is if they had a fucking VO going if there was a right. voiceover going and I was inside his head from the beginning and I was understanding how much he was missing home so even when he's acting like he doesn't, which is how he's acting, mm-hmm. we know, oh, he is. Like, he actually wants to be here and he misses these people. Mm. Then maybe I could buy it. But there's none of that. So for me, that was just a scene where I was like, I'm out. Like, I'm completely <laughs> out because this is just bullshit now. Like, it's, and then they sit right. down and watch this music video that 
I've found out from Tom later on is a, he says it's a really cool music video from a band that he loves and it's very cool. Uh-huh. I've never heard of them before. I thought <laughs> it was absolute garbage. I was like, what the hell are they watching? <laughs> and then they kind of like say, he's like, what's this music video that you're uh-huh. watching? And then it like cuts to the next scene. It's really weird. <laughs> that scene was my turning point with the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, how about you guys? You're nodding along, but I know, not to well, skip no. him, but I know you liked this movie when you came out of it, Ali. So, so I agree with you to an extent. The problem for me in the same realm is that if they had the voiceover of him, which, yeah, I absolutely think they should have had a voiceover. But if we were in his own head and they were justifying it, saying, oh, no, he actually is nostalgic, then it also goes against how it opens and his conversations with Spud because they're trying to show that he has changed and he is a better person and he's healthier and his new addiction is running or exercise and he's telling Spud, yeah, you're an addict, just be addicted to something else. So then it just goes against that too. No, but I'm not saying that he should do that as a character. I'm just saying if they want him to do that as a character, they yeah. need to give me a reason and they haven't. Like, no, you have to, his character would leave. His character would get back on that plane, go and deal with his divorce yeah. mm-hmm. and try and start and do a new something life. Else, yeah. His character would not stay in Edinburgh. Mm. Yeah. There's, and all I'm saying is like they, clear, they need him to stay in Edinburgh for the story they want to tell. And there's only one way you can do that for me, which is convince me. And they haven't done anything to convince me in the movie that he would want to stay in that toxic environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not saying like, yeah, that it doesn't go against everything that he's done before. I'm saying it does go against, but they yeah. clearly need him there. So it's just for me, it's just really bad writing, like really, really bad mm-hmm. writing um, to a trance level, which now <laughs> I understand more. <laughs> because honestly, like there's a big gap for me looking at the early John Hodge films and then 15 years later or however long, 10 years until he started writing again for Danny Boyle. Mm-hmm. There's a huge gap right. between like trance and like, it makes more sense to me my feelings now and I'm, I'm showing my cards a bit, but it makes way more sense to me transporting to after seeing trance um, because the writing seems alarmingly similar to me. Mm-hmm. To just it's definitely not as bad <laughs> in my opinion. No, it's, it's <laughs> but mm, yeah. yes. Mm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Especially because we had like Alan Sorkin in between, it kind of, oh, the yeah. writing really does stand out. As, it hurts. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. physically was hurting me in the, in the film at this point. But I was still a bit confused. Like, I was still like, I don't know what it is, what their right is. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, I'm not sure what I've signed in for at this point. Mm-hmm. So I'm going along with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like Gregor in this film isn't very interesting as a character because he he lost all the, you know, the useful energy, which is fine. But then, like you said, like and you stick d- with that and yeah, it's like okay, do yeah. that the whole time. Don't. It's like they were trying to balance out. Yes, he's moved on, but he's also still the same yeah, person. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You can't do that. It's opposite ends of the spectrum. It's a drug addict and someone who has their life together. Yeah, or yeah, is yeah. getting their life together. Yeah. And brothel like in the, on you know in edinburgh probably isn't gonna do that well it's not a very good business well brothels are legal in scotland legal (laughs) yeah so edinburgh has a lot of brothels and they're all legal oh really yeah i didn't know that interesting um but that's another reason why why it might not do well because they already (laughs) have a lot (laughs) right why would they go to one run by a cocaine addict who's Uh in the middle of purgatory um Okay, so Mark uh, also explains three months prior he suffered a heart condition which caused him to undergo an operation to insert a stent. Simon, Mark and Simon's partner, Veronica, travel to Glasgow and enter a packed orange lodge where they pick the pockets of the assembled clientele, stealing every bank card they find. So here we go. He's, 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 let's go with the leap of faith. He's decided, yep, 
What could be better than starting a brothel with my old heroin addict friend who clearly has a vendetta against me? But we also need money. They try and do it going the legit way for a tiny montage just to convince us you and McGregor's trying to like still do it the right way. Uh, doesn't work. So you got to go to your second thing. There's no conversation about this in the movie. At no point does Ewan McGregor put up a fight about this. He is completely <laughs> fine with stealing people's cards to do this mm. and just slip back into his old life. Right. Which I have huge problem with. Um, and the only real reason for it other than they need money is they seem to have this idea for a surreal, funny scene of them singing. <laughs> there were no more Catholics left. There are no more Catholics <laughs> left. Um... At this, yeah, at this pub uh, obsessed with the Battle of Boyne, like which. So I forgot what the name is for these for these people who are still trapped in this. The what? Completely racist, religious, like. I just remember 1690. Yeah, I <laughs> what. Sorry, I forgot what the name is for them. Um, and I didn't. I'll be honest. I didn't know that these people really existed in that context. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so after the film, I had to go look it up and like uh. read a bit about it. Um, but yeah, they go into this this pub and then they start stealing the bank cards. And then they get found out and they have to go on stage and do this like sing song. Um, Ali, you love Ewan McGregor. You love him singing. We're going <laughs> to do. a secret cinema Moulin Rouge tonight. We are. Mm, Ewan McGregor sing- will not be there just so you would oh, care. But I, there will 100% be someone officially dressed up as Ewan McGregor. Yeah, but it won't be as good. Well, you don't know. Um, I do. <laughs> here is a singy songy thing. He did it before in Life Less Ordinary. Yes, you, that, we also went into A Life Less Ordinary. And you're like, you'll like this. He sings in it. And it's like him walking on the street singing on his way home. It's not really real singing. He does the bar one as well. He does the bar one, but that's not, that's yeah. not Moulin not Rouge, you immigrant. Well, what about this one? Was this one Moulin Rouge? No. <laughs> <laughs> so they have like a camera on the microphone. It was funny. Yeah. It was entertaining to watch. It's not yeah. a song I'm going to listen yeah. to when I'm... <laughs> Have some free time. Johnny Lee's Miller's face in this is pretty hilarious. He's just like just doing his sort of three chords if you piano, and then he seems really sort of he's into like it. Turning he's turning around like, trying to figure wait. out why everyone likes what they're doing. And... Yeah. Mm. yeah. Um, I mean, it's a funny scene. Yeah. Yeah. I, in the context of the movie, I, I don't. Yeah is necessary yeah <laughs> i don't again believe you and mcgregor getting into that situation um from where he starts in the movie but it's a funny scene yeah and it has a few interesting camera angles which danny ball like he tries a lot in this film to be fair yeah i don't it, feel much of it works for me yeah for me it felt a bit like you know someone who who was trying to do the whole danny ball thing and not succeeding or not doing as well as Danny Boyle could have done, which is a bit silly because, yeah. Yep. It was a Danny Boyle. He film, is Danny so. Boyle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was like he was trying too hard to be him. Yeah. But uh, what I'm saying earlier about characters, I think it also happens with directors. Mm. Like, I feel the same thing happens with Tarantino. He makes great films, but he makes great films that feel like someone pretending to be Tarantino. Right, right. Because people think that's the defining. Yeah, it's become like he's. I think people become, a, if you're too successful, you become a sort of cartoon version of yourself. Right. Because you learn the traits people like about what mm-hmm, you do. Mm-hmm. Um, so then the three head back to Edinburgh and assuming that the year of the battle will be in the pin of each of the bank cards, steal money from every account that they can access with no ethical problems. <laughs> Simon and Mark <laughs> also make a presentation at the Scottish Parliament building in an effort to secure European development funds to establish a ledger club upstairs at Simon's pub to be run by the mystery girl from Mark's pool table vision, who is Veronica, um, who is also involved in sick boys' blackmailing schemes. 
I had some problems with this, but then I came out and I think it was you, Haruka, who said this does actually happen. Um, was it you or was it Marcella? Oh, I think it was it was Marcella, yeah. Was it Marcella? Yeah, it was mm. Marcella. I was talking about like getting the European Development Funds, like that they were getting it for something completely different from what it was going to be used for, which mm-hmm. was a brothel. And yeah. I was like, surely they go and review that at some point mm. <laughs> to see how that development investment is going. But she was like, no, she knows people who they just get the money and that's yeah. it, they're left alone. So fair enough. Maybe yeah. that's more believable than it seems. Mm. Uh, while on the run, Begbie begins burgling houses, taking along his son, Frank Jr., who he sees as a chip off the old block. While Frank Jr.'s <laughs> aspirations lie in attending college, Begbie sells his stolen goods to his old friend, Mikey Forrester, played by Irvine Welsh, who is now a successful businessman. While in Forrester's warehouse, Begbie opens a fridge to find bags containing thousands of Viagra tablets, and he takes some. He then goes to a nightclub. While in the toilets, Begbie and Renton accidentally meet but Renton escapes by jumping on the roof of a car, leaving a parking garage and riding it into the street where he falls off and runs off. So we got our first proper meeting between them. Mm-hmm. We got a first sort of proper action sequence, I guess, really. Yeah. It's a proper chase sequence. It goes on for quite a while. Yeah. There are cars. Yeah. There is running. running there's a knife falling. at one point, isn't there? Yeah. There's um, toilets. There are toilets. toilets. Ewan does not climb into it this time. He runs away <laughs> from it. Not. Like, so I remember you. <laughs> My heart never says. I must leave. We do get you in a, in a nightclub again. What's he wearing in this scene? <laughs> oh, Ali's about to spit out her water. She's just too aroused. <laughs> She's actually got to spit out her water. She's choking. Oh, are you all right? Oh, no, we've lost her. Running out of the room. Need some private oh. time. <laughs> you and McGregor. Uh, okay. I can't remember what he was wearing in the nightclub scene. The what? We'll wait till she gets back. Okay. <laughs> How were you with this whole action scene? Uh, How they meet in the stall to stall? I mean, that was quite fun. I mean, like not very realistic or believable, but um, I can't do that when I'm drinking. <laughs> oh boy. Was he as sexy uh, as ever? No, I just had a flashback of him and his yellow <laughs> coat. <laughs> <That's> so funny. <laughs> oh, oh boy. Yeah, yeah, they're still meeting. It's it's kind of a cool moment. Yeah, so um, it still had that kind of the original train spotting vibe, like yeah, yeah kind yeah. of vibe. It's one of those things where it's just solid a bit for me still because I don't really believe you in in any of these situations. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't even believe Sick Boy and how he's dealing them with like Sick Boy kind of fobs off Begbie and then just seems to forget about it. Mm. And it's like well, obviously something like this is going to happen. Yeah. But then they end up in the same nightclub at the same time, which is like it's all kind of contrived for a fun scene, mm-hmm. but narratively just feel forced. To yeah. Me. Yeah. Um, and then we get into the action scene, and it's the beginning of yeah. Another thing I just don't like with this movie is like Begbie is just painted as a pure villain, mm-hmm. and it becomes a thriller action film for mm-hmm. a bit here. Yeah. Um, and it's a bit too over the top for me with right. how it's done and how actiony it is. You okay? <laughs> yes, thank you. You can breathe. I can breathe. Um, what about Begbie's relationship with his son now? I'm trying to get him to burgle houses with him. His oh, son yeah. just wants to go to school. Well, the son kind of, I think he does like ha- being able to hang out with his dad. Yeah. Because he's not like, you know, he, he's not sulky or anything. Um that's kind of a sweet relationship, but I don't know. I think it's hard to buy that he has a son like that. Right, yeah. <laughs> right. His son's exactly. great, and yeah. I love the son as a person. Uh-huh. He's super cute, and right. I 
I'm glad he's focused on school, but <laughs> how are you like that with that as your dad? Mm. Although I guess if he's he been in around, prison, yeah. yeah. So his whole upbringing. But when did he, when, how old is his son? His like, oh, no. co- his, is he in college? Yeah, or I was a bit muddled with the timeline. I can imagine he'd be yeah, 20, like maybe she was just pregnant at the time uh, when he okay. got put in prison or maybe he was in prison for a bit got out got mm-hmm. pregnant got put back in prison again because <laughs> right. he didn't want to deal yeah, with yeah because if you're fatherhood. 20 unless he's just had a year yeah. after graduation mm. or something and then went to school who knows who um, knows he's a good kid though mm. Begbie then visits Spud to find out where Mark is hiding and discovers that Spud who is working for Simon renovating the top floor of Port Sunshine which used is sorry is to be used as Veronica's leisure club is writing down pages of reminiscences of events from years prior featuring Mark, Simon, and the others. So this is an interesting little angle to have. I pre- this seems like something that must have been in the books, because it seems like a very writerly thing to do, to have a character writing the first book mm, in your mm, second mm. book kind of thing, which is really what Spud is doing. He's, yeah, he's, he's, he's almost becoming the narrator in a yeah, way yeah. of the film, and he's documenting everything. Yeah. And then Begbie seems to like love actually hearing the stories <laughs> from the old times, and they all just seem, which I guess it makes more sense for his character to be entrenched with the old times because he's been in prison for twenty years. Right. So the times when you're out free, running wild, and stuff seem more fun. Right. True. Um, but I like this extra texture to Spud mm-hmm. to give him something other than oh, he's the goofy one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That he has this sort of creative outlet is kind of cool. Yeah. It'll make him even more endearing to you. Look at you. You're all. <laughs> he's a charming little dude yeah. um, <laughs> he's just so simple and precious yeah, little puppy uh, Veronica little coincidentally puppy. visits Spud at the same time using Veronica's mm-hmm. mobile phone Begbie deceives both Simon and Mark texting both of them independently for the first time in a film and requesting <laughs> that they meet at Simon's pub, pub when neither of them realise so this sets up for the ending um, it is missing out so in this walk through the bit where they head out to the hills again um where they go oh, yeah, on the on anniversary the of the trip. death yeah, yeah. of their friend tom i forgot his name now the one who died in the first yeah film. the one who wasn't he was the clean one and then mm-hmm. he got addicted for oh them right and died um, and got aids as well didn't he um yeah so they go back out to the scottish mountains and mm-hmm. it's your one time out of edinburgh um, again, like in the first film, right? Um, and you get a kind of a, a good scene of some honesty mm-hmm. between them talking about stuff, right? I think it was Tommy. Yeah, Tommy. Right, Tommy. Thank you. Thank you. Had a tea. Um, and we've also already had, and they skip over this in this Wikipedia. We have um, Ewan McGregor sort of falling for Veronica a little bit. Yeah. Which is Simon's girlfriend. So she's the only new generation character mm-hmm. in this. She's pretty much, you know, she's a little bit older, but roughly in the same age bracket as they were in the yeah. first film. Um, she's definitely represents youth. There's a, there is a lot of technology in this film, mm-hmm. which is portrayed in a variety of ways. Yeah. Um, I had a big issue with Veronica's character. Okay. Because, like, now that you said, put it in the way you just said that he she represents the new generation blah blah blah. i guess it makes more sense but when i first watched it i was like yeah of course like all the guys get to you know age and stuff and but you know the leading female had to be young young and pretty pretty, yeah and that's yeah i'm sure that wasn't the intention but that's i think it's probably partly any intention yeah and yeah she there's a reason why in the trailer her boobs are in it for a second when she (laughs) comes back from the bed (laughs) 
Um, I mean, to be fair, you do get all of the old actresses from the first one are back. Um, yeah, but so they're like side characters. The, yeah, yeah, they are. And even Kelly McDonald um, is a side character. And she's like a novelty in this one. Yeah, which is another thing that for me, again, with Ewan McGregor, like they show her as his lifeline in the first film and she's writing to him and she's kind of this mischievous but innocent thing that keeps him awake and pushed him to get out. And he really did leave because of her. She was mm. the reason she pushed him. Um, and now he just sort of turns up, goes to see her when he needs a lawyer for one scene. Mm-hmm. And she even, yeah, to your point, she even has a snide line at the end of how old is she? She's too young for you. Mm. Um, because he turns up with Veronica. And that's kind of it. And then you have one scene later where he's sort of staring at her, but I think it's in his mind even. You see him like looking at her when she's working in there. Mm-mm. And I was like, that's another interesting thing you could be dealing with. It's like, what's that like to go back and see where she's got to and she's in a professional like job and mm-hmm. she's all like seems like a lovely person she's still mm-hmm. radiantly beautiful and stuff it's not like it's a hard stretch to build something there but I don't show anything mm-hmm. with him and he's way more interested in goofing around with his sidekick yeah. boy, basically <laughs> well he's an attractive guy yep boy, so you know, yeah I honestly him. like I, I, I wouldn't have been surprised if this film it ended up with the two of them together yeah <laughs> i think i would have appreciated it more if it well, veronica like points that. it out it's like yeah. you should just go sleep with each other exactly. oh, yeah. um yeah okay um yeah like i said we get a bit with him trying heroin again but we've already covered that um do you want to talk about technology you can yeah, you talk about technology I <laughs> that's my biggest problem with it i think is i'm happy they're acknowledging it but then it kind of contradicts itself in a way. So, like, I mean, they have the they use Snapchat filters at some point, but it's and it's silly and it's stupid and I don't like it. But it's them being silly in a car, having a fun time, and they're rowdy. So it's sure if you want to use it in the scene, that's fine. But that's them acknowledging the technology clearly, and so we're in this generation. All of these things are happening, but then it's okay for like when they steal the ATM cards and they stay at the same ATM and use all the cards at the same one and whichever ones have the pin is 1690 they pull out $500 because that's the limit and that's fine but if we're in like today's day and age every ATM has a camera on it so Mm -hmm. the fact that it never comes up again later and no one's after them again later Mm -hmm. for that makes no sense to me yep yeah there were other I can't there were other moments that technology kind of like we saw both yeah, sides of it and it didn't match up and point. I can't remember them. Um, and Danny Ball is, he's always interested in technology and he is a very useful, mm-hmm. like I said, he's 61 when he directed this film. Right. Um, is that right? Yeah, I think so. Um, so, I mean, it's, yeah, I'm always impressed with how up to date he is with what he wants to do with his films with technology and how he wants to portray things like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I have a big problem with it as well, but I'm going to get into it more at the end because it's an o- my overall big problem with the film and it includes what they do with technology and stuff. Um, how about, um, yeah, Begbie's desire to get an erection? How's the Viagra? <laughs> <laughs> like, it just seems strange to me. <laughs> the, I, I don't know. Well, he was trying to like have sex with his wife and yeah, he couldn't and get he it up, right? And it was kind of like sad. because Yeah, they showed that a few times. Yeah. Heard, like, yeah. either putting her hand yeah. on him somehow and but um yeah it was it wasn't necessary i don't think but it the problem is like they want laugh. you to find him funny and sort of endearing but also definitely want you to find him scary 
and actually be fine as a threat, particularly in the scene we're about to get to, which is the big finale. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I found him funny occasionally, endearing less so because he does seem too cartoonish. Mm-hmm. But I never found him scary. He just seems silly to mm-hmm. me for most of the movie. Um, yeah, he's, he's turned into a bit of a sitcom character. Yeah. You know, like yeah. It felt like you're watching an episode of EastEnders at points. Yeah. Kind of thing, which yeah. Only people were happier in this. this <laughs> miserable show. Uh, but, 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 so where do we get to? We're right in the end. So yeah, then Simon and Mark meet at the specified time at the pub just as Spud arrives to warn them of Bigby's trap. But before they can escape, Bigby arrives and a fight breaks out, knocking Simon unconscious, chasing Mark upstairs, where he reveals that he once murdered a man whilst thinking about Mark at his betrayal 20 years earlier explaining the 20-year prison sentence. Mark escapes into the roof space. Begbie follows and pushes him off, resulting in Mark getting his neck caught in cables. And he begins choking to death as Begbie watches. Simon and Spud both save Mark after attacking Begbie, who then pulls out a shotgun and prepares to shoot both Mark and Simon, but Spud knocks him unconscious with a toilet bowl. Mark, Simon and Spud, finally fed up with Begbie, deposit him back to the doors of the prison in a car boot. Veronica keeps the money she stole off Simon and Mark, returning to Bulgaria to reunite with her son. Spud begins a new career as a writer, and his writings form the basis of a book. Mark reconciles his friendship with Simon and moves back into his parents' house, embracing his father before going into his bedroom and playing Lust for Life on his record player. So we get this huge action sequence in their development um, property. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of mirrors. Yeah, 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 you have that scene. You like that scene a lot. I did, I did. So it's a bit where Ewan McGregor gets, he sort of traps himself in the little room of mirrors uh, that isn't fully built yet, but it's sort of sealed in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you have the conversation with Peggy who's outside. Yeah. What were you liking about it? Um, I like the visuals, Mm -hmm. I think. Because, yeah, it felt like a very Danny Boyle moment, the way it was shot and stuff and and designed uh, with all the reflections and the reflections and all that and also I quite like the fact that the two characters had this like kind of not heart to heart but you know um like nostalgic um chat and yeah I liked it yeah because <laughs> I'm a soppy person <laughs> you're, a, <laughs> yeah. so you're a fucking soppy person <laughs> I, yeah and I like how like learning about um Begbie's backstory um because i think especially in the first film like you didn't really get to like you know get inside his head but it was fine but because in this film he's become such a central character yeah it was nice to like get some insight and see where he's coming from yeah to be fair this is the first time you get some proper exposition between the two of them yeah understand that dynamic more it's a scene that him yeah in the in the mirror room is pretty cool but i feel like it's the sort of thing where i could imagine it maybe somewhere in the middle of a transporting mm-hmm. film without all of the crazy stuff going on around it you know right. um instead we have this massive action sequence that goes on for ages and ages and ages mm. and it's played out properly like the finale of a thriller action movie mm. um even with you know, mcgregor like hanging from the wires at the end mm-hmm. and stuff and it's and it's just a complete like you like having seen Transporting One in the same day again and remi- remembering all that. It's just a completely different universe. Like mm. it's just so disconnected from the first film, um, which I don't necessarily have a problem with. Other than yeah, my big wrap up that I'm going to get into, which is my <laughs> big problem with it. Um, 
it's just yeah it's just not working for me there's just mm. too much action and there's too much reliance on Begbie it's like I'm not I don't care really about mm-hmm. Begbie I want to know more about the characters mm-hmm. and instead you're just giving me a chase sequence again and again and again um, how about you Ali Sue overall no with that scene with that the scene? whole action sequence ending um, I agreed that the shot the because they at one point they looked down through the top of it right yeah yeah and they i liked i know you also liked that scene when it was i think it was when they were in the bathroom that they also go over the top with the two stalls but i think it's the kids oh yeah 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 so i liked like all of those shots and all of those sequences were nice and the most danny boyle moments um and the other parts of the movie that i liked were the little comedic moments and moments that were felt genuine in their relationships so this scene for me, I liked more just because of the shots and because of, I thought the mirrors were cool and all of that, but not necessarily the entire scene and mm-hmm. their relationship didn't really come through for me. Spud saves the day though. Yeah, Spud's a fucking <laughs> hero. <laughs> <laughs> and then Veronica, yeah, fucks them all over, steals the money, returns to Bulgaria, leaving like a note by the door. Um, yeah, which is mirroring Ewan McGregor in the first one and what mm-hmm. he did. Um, and it's pretty obvious she's going to do something like that for the whole movie. Yep. Because why wouldn't she? Doesn't she tries to get Spud to be in on it? Yeah. And he, again, that was him, which he said in the beginning to like you and no, I have before. an yeah, yeah. addiction. Mm-hmm. I'm going to spend the money on heroin. And he says yeah. the same thing. Yeah. Good for you, Spud. <laughs> <laughs> He'll just yeah steal from people to help his heroin addiction <laughs> rather than having it privately funded. Um, yeah, and then Mark, it says he reconciles his friendship with Simon, and then he moves back into his parents' house. I didn't get it, it was moving back into his parents' oh, house. Oh, really? But is it, yeah, I didn't get that. Because it, end, it, it ends when, like, he takes his suitcase into his parents' right. house, and yeah. then it ends in his bedroom with the train. Yeah, I, do, I guess I just didn't read it that way. I'm not saying it's not what it was, I'm just saying I took it as, because he kind of ignores his father throughout the whole film, mm-hmm. and his father's all broken up still about his mother dying, right. and he didn't, he didn't go back for his mother's funeral, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I kind of took it more as a, again, not like, I think you're right. And it's what it says in Wikipedia, but me watching, I just read it as him realizing he needs to spend time with his Yeah. He needs to like connect with the more important things in that place and his past and goes back to kind of hug his father and to, and to go to stay for the rest of his stay basically before he returns to Mm -hmm. Amsterdam or wherever he's going to go to, um, yeah, I didn't get he was doing a thing of I'm going to live now in Edinburgh kind of thing. Mm. I think he kind of... Is there a voiceover over that scene, maybe? I think he mentions it, maybe. I don't think there is. Oh, okay. Because, and we skipped over it, but let's do it now, shall we? There is a voiceover in this <laughs> film, and it's in the scene that we talked about when they go into the pub to steal all of the cards. Uh-huh. Um, and suddenly, Renton's voice comes back <laughs> in. To me, by fucking surprise, because we're way, like, we're about halfway through the movie at this point, mm-hmm. if not further. And he pops in to explain to you the political reasonings for a pub like this existing, what the political viewpoint is of the people, the patrons inside the pub, why it'd be easy to then, to, to set it all up, and then disappears again. Right. And then there's no more VO. Um, and all it reeks of is they finished the film, showed it to people, and a whole bunch of people like me who would have no clue were like, what is going on with that scene? Like, what is this place? What are these people? <laughs> What is going? You know, what is the deal with it? And if you're not Scottish, you probably won't understand. Yeah. And some producers like we need to have some explanation. Easiest way for that? Oh, let's wheel in the VO again. And you can just <laughs> explain what it is. That's 
But Which, oh, it's so transparent. I don't think there's any <laughs> other possible reason of, oh no, nothing. We didn't want you to be inside his head for any point other than when they go to the pub to steal cards from him. Right. It's so, and that to me sums up, like, if you have, if you make that kind of decision, I'll tell you what, like, if, so before I say that, is there any other reason for that being the only VO in the movie? No. No. I guess like, not. Like, that's not me being is... mean. No, it's, that's. Like you were saying, screenwriters have such a problem with voiceover because people use it as, oh, we don't know how to do this creatively and people aren't going to get it, so we'll throw a voiceover in and mm. problem solved. Yeah. So that, And there's no other reason why it wouldn't be anywhere else in the movie but just mm. for that one scene, which isn't an emotional scene, it's not a character-driven scene, no. it's nothing to do really with narrative. It's just, oh, this is a confusing scene. Mm-hmm. So to go on that basis and then they make that decision to do that, to solve that problem, mm-hmm. that to me tells you everything about this movie. They don't care like if they don't mm. care enough to figure out how to tell that story properly to tell that scene properly to either like just cut the scene mm-hmm. or to add in an extra like just do in your reshoots which i guarantee they had reshoots because every big movie does have reshoots mm-hmm. do one extra scene where maybe there's some like the driving there and someone's filling in you in or like mm-hmm. she's from bulgaria she wouldn't know fill her in <laughs> yeah right no seriously <laughs> just have a go what the fuck well, is yeah, this place you know there's all go, these weird well, church people why yeah. the fact that they couldn't even be bothered to see that through and instead they taint what must have been a big decision for them of let's take out all the VO mm. with yeah but fuck it whatever just throw in some VO there to explain that to the audience that to me tells me everything mm-hmm. about this film and I find it very hard to believe that John Hodges that Irvine Welsh and that Danny Boyle wouldn't care enough about this movie like mm-hmm. I feel up until this point with this movie I feel like everything I don't like about it is something they do like Mm-hmm. For they have their reasons for doing all the things I don't like about this movie but then this scene happens and I'm just like oh maybe they don't give a shit <laughs> because it's such a just blasely careless thing to decide to do mm-hmm. um, and that yeah really really fucked me off <laughs> really <laughs> fucked me off um, but anyway we get to the end of the film we have that shot of him in his old room which hasn't changed puts on Lust for Life and then transitions into the prodigy version of Lust for Life and we're pulling out down kind of the hallway and you get mm-hmm. all the wallpaper. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, for the end track and yeah. he just starts dancing in it. I really like this end shot. The train yeah, tunnel Yeah, the train effects. tunnels, yeah. yeah. I really like this end shot. The thing I don't like about it is that it's um, it's obviously CGI, the way they did it. Mm. And it was a shot that you could just tell in the first train spotting. They would have just had a corridor and wallpapered it right. and made it look really cool. Right, right. And instead it's just this sort of CGI yeah. last shot. But the concept's cool, I think. Mm. yeah. All ties into the title and you know recurring yeah. themes and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We do also get the reasoning for them being called transporting in this one, do we? Or do we not? Did we just read about that afterwards? Uh, no, no, we get a flashback with the to them. Begbie's dad, like he was a bum who yeah. lived on a train track. Or yeah, something. they go in to go to the toilet, don't they? In yeah. like a disused train underground train station in Edinburgh, yeah. or Glasgow, or something. Oh, yeah. And then they stumble across Begbie's father. Yeah. And they didn't know that he was Begbie's father until yeah. later on or something like that. And that's why it's called train spotting, which I don't like. I like the more <laughs> metaphorical <laughs> idea of train spotting. Um, all right. So that's the end of the movie. <laughs> Let's talk about our overall feelings. Not okay. necessary specific. Haruka. Um, like I said in the beginning, I was very excited about this film. And I left the cinema feeling pretty angry um, (laughs) because I thought it was very meh. And yeah, I think I was disappointed in myself more than anything else. That, you know, I let myself have 
high expectation. Yeah, Don't <laughs> ever <laughs> do that. <laughs> Mistake uh, number one. Um, yeah, no, I, I didn't really like it, to be honest. Um, but it's great that, you know, all the creators are very happy about it. You know? Yeah. So that's, yeah. Well, it gives me less faith in the creators. <laughs> <laughs> so if we went to see this in a group of us. There was actually quite a lot of us. Yeah. Um, Tamro, um, who's on this podcast quite a lot. Hi, he was on. He was Hi. on the Transporting One podcast. You can listen to oh, his yeah, opinion he was. that one. Oh, yeah. Uh, sadly, he's not with us today um, because he died. Um, <laughs> he, <laughs> we just said hi to him. <laughs> he, um, he actually said he preferred this movie to the first one, mm-hmm. but he did make the caveat of he wasn't a big fan of the first one. He'd right. seen it twice now, both times. He just didn't really get it. I think he said this one, the sequel, was a better film. Yeah. I think that was the phrase. Yeah, he thought it's a better made film, which is why he preferred it. I yeah. would disagree with that wholeheartedly. Um, I think it's a much worse made movie. Um, but just want to be clear with like, yeah, the variety. Like, I've, like I said, be, I've never seen a film with like six people or whatever with more different opinions mm-hmm. going around the table. Uh, he had brought an old friend of his who turned out she knew nearly every line of dialogue from the first film because mm-hmm. she loved it so much and it meant mm-hmm. so much to her growing up. And she came out of Transporting 2 really having seemed to enjoyed it. And then after about two hours of me and Haruka moaning about the stuff we didn't like about it, she seemed she to come like, around oh, a little bit. Kind of <laughs> <right>. <laughs> I felt so bad though because she was so excited about it coming out. I don't want, cinema. this is the problem Like when you criticize a movie. I, if someone's enjoying something, great. I want yeah. them to just enjoy it. Yeah. Unless it's something I feel ethically like Suicide Squad. Right. <laughs> no one should enjoy it. <laughs> but so a movie like this is like, if you're getting enjoyment out of it, great. People saying it's a better made movie than Transporting World, that upsets me because mm-hmm. I don't think objectively you can argue it's a better mm-hmm. made movie. Um, but if you enjoyed it more, then great. I don't want to discourage that mm-hmm. at all. And yeah. we definitely did for her. We discouraged her enjoyment. Sorry. It's also <laughs> interesting. There's so many movies that you just really 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 love so when there's a sequel or when there's a remake or when there's anything that's relative to it you go in with high expectations or you're excited and either you're so excited that you overlook its flaws and you just enjoy it because of how much you love it or you're just completely let down because yeah you go in you with open eyes to... knowing oh no this is going to be great and then you're proven wrong and then you're like fuck yeah yeah no i agree um, Alison, it was you are the most objective person here <laughs> because you don't have a long history with Trainspotting and you saw them both in the same day. Yeah. How is Trainspotting 2 if your brand completely new to it? Um, the franchise, I mean. So I agree with everything, all the problems that y'all have with it. I think, and I mean, we talked about this in the beginning, but I think the reason the two of you seem to dislike it more passionately than I do is just because of the relationship you have with the first one. Which for me, I saw the first one at this point in my life in 2017 and then saw the second one the same day. And so because I didn't have that huge passionate love for train spawning for 20 years of my life, I going into this, I wasn't, you know, my expectations were about the same as when I saw the first one. And so I, I don't think it's a better film at all. The problem I mentioned problems with the technology my, the only bits of it that I like are the few humorous moments and the times that their relationships actually seem genuine, which are usually between Spud and Mark. Mark? Yeah, Mark, Mark Renton, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I thought there were charming moments. There were moments that I laughed. There were moments that I really enjoyed, but then there were a lot of things that just didn't make sense and contradicted things that we had just seen. So, so at a time... 
and we're you know weeks later now so at the time when you saw it you said that you liked them about the same as each other but for different reasons you thought train spawning one was a better film mm-hmm. but train spawning two you had more fun with i think was what you said like you found it was it was more entertaining and funnier mm-hmm. so you got different things out of them essentially yeah. do you still would you still rate them roughly the same then but for different reasons or is um, that changing now my i'm trying to think if because i've already gone through all of them this morning and adjusted my scores okay and for train spotting i was half point between don't want to give everything away for before we record the last one but i rounded up for train spotting just now that we've gone through and seen everything and so this one's definitely lower okay Mm. it's a little bit lower than train spotting but you feel there's different stuff you can get out of it yeah do you feel though that if you just went to train spotting too would you get anything out of this no. <laughs> okay. I think that is very valid. Like it's confusing because you wouldn't understand the relationships, and then it's confusing because so many things are contradicting each other in yeah. this movie. Yeah. yeah. So even if you didn't need to understand their relationships with each other, it would still be confusing. It's still confusing to us, to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's your score, Harika, for this me. one? Um, um, and again, you can actually, adjust this next. I, yeah, did you have no, it written down? I actually did the same as well um <laughs> oh um what did i give slam dog i think i gave slam dog i think actually gave it seven yeah, yeah i yeah. think you did i think train spotting for me was like i think the two you, you both gave it, one, one, you gave it nine. nine yeah i think this one's like six if i'm being generous okay maybe okay. more like five point no but there were moments that i did like so yeah i think i'll give it a six okay um so yeah, I mean, there were things, like I said, I liked about this movie. I did really like that scene where he saves, um, saves, what's his face? Spud. Spud. Um, I really like, we haven't talked about it, but the shadows on the walls, they're a bit cheesy, but they're made for nice moments yeah. um, without his mother there. And there's all oh, the yeah, shadow, yeah, that was the shadow of where shot. she was sitting in the yeah. seat. There are these little bits in there that really worked from, and there's things that only Danny Boyle would think of, um, which I did love. My... <sighs> My big oh, and the other thing we forgot to choose about is when they bring back the choose life diatribe, um, while they're in a fancy restaurant, oh, yeah. and he uses it like a chat up line to basically sleep with Veronica. Right. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But they yeah. edit it like it's all action packed and really fast, and she's really yeah. affected by it, and she looks like really moved by him yeah. doing the choose life, yeah, yeah, diatribe that he did yeah. from the first film. That felt like it was pissing all over. Yeah, <laughs> the first movie. yeah, yeah, I agree. Um. Now, what I hate about this movie, and I do mean I, hate, I really, and I'm not saying I hate the movie, but what I hate about the movie mm-hmm. isn't actually, and yeah, you're right, Ali, there's a lot of stuff which is just because I love Transpawning so much and I've seen it like been part of me for 20 years. Some of that might be fair, some of that might not be fair. But other than just feeling like it's a worst made movie, and I really do think it's a worst made movie, like I say, just that one thing with the VO there kind of shows me mm-hmm. how little time they're putting in or how how they're not taking things that seriously they're not staying up sleepless nights with these decisions you know mm-hmm. um which i feel with train spotting he bleeds into that movie like you mm-hmm. can feel it. and i read an interview with him where he was pretty cocky and he put it into that era of i, I would say it is in the era of pop fiction and stuff like that but mm-hmm. he himself puts into you know when he made films that were as big as pop fiction and stuff um what i hate about this movie is that it just has one foot in every door Mm-hmm. And I hated it right from the beginning. It's like, for me, I don't want to see Trainspotting again. I've seen Trainspotting. And it's a youthful movie dealing with youthful problems. These people are now 20 years later. I'm 20 years later. I want to see something that's reflecting 
that age. Now, when Danny Boyle made Train Spotting One, he was what we said he was forty, was forty-one, forty, I think. Yeah. And he was telling this story about youth in a credible way that he could somehow cut twenty years out of his life and still be very articulate with mm-hmm. the language of youth. In the sixties, I don't feel he's nailing at all what it feels like to be in your late thirties. I don't. Right. Um, and the problems that you and McGregor's coming from of like coming back home, dealing with your grief of your parent, dealing with seeing an old girlfriend who you loved and fallen out of touch with, dealing with seeing your old friends who are like Spud, who's still suffering from the things you were suffering from, dealing with the fact he's going through divorce. These are big life-changing things that to me are as interesting as the stuff they were dealing with before in Transporting One. And he starts to film, albeit with editing around it so it doesn't have the potency, but but with that idea of let's show him on the running the treadmill and then let's have him fall off it and it's a great way to show you're not going to get that film that we did before you're going to get something different um and then they don't do that they Mm -hmm. kind of like flirt with these ideas and great lines like they're tourist in your own youth or him saying be addicted to something else which are like that's what the film should be about Mm -hmm. and you should be dealing with middle age as bravely as you dealt with youth and Mm -hmm. heroin addiction but he doesn't he makes it cute and he makes the decisions (laughs) that he do dumb and he makes it seem fun almost like all of the things that they do nothing has any consequence from them stealing yeah. the cards to them to taking heroin again after 20 years off of it there's right. no consequence on any of this right and i don't believe any of it and instead he seems more interested in showing this action movie um with begbie which is like i don't care i don't care mm. about begbie i really don't like he's fine as a side character popping up every now and then to do humorous slightly dangerous you know plot pushes mm-hmm. But as a central character, it's like, I don't give a fuck. And not having the VR with Ewan McGregor, not treating Ewan McGregor's character properly. I don't even remember really much about Ewan McGregor in this movie. It's everybody else. Because he just kind of floats through it. Mm-hmm. But when he turns up at the beginning, he's not like that. He seems to be a real character who's in a different place. Mm. And that character is what I want to see. Yeah. I want to see that film that is meaty and dangerous and daring and depressing and surreal and using Danny Ball's imagery to show middle age Mm -hmm. rather than this, well, we kind of want to do that, but we also kind of want to make an action film. We also kind of want to make it cute. We're also going to do lots of things that kind of like reminisce about the old times. It's like, just pick one. Mm -hmm. Just pick one and deal with it like you used to deal with stuff where you would have the balls to follow through. And instead, this movie just flits around and it just feels like they had a lot of ideas and they all got too excited and like... Like, if honestly, it feels like John Hodgins and Irvin Welsh and Danny Ball sat around drunk, just touching each other all excitedly, <laughs> you know, and just were like, "Oh, we're so great! This is so amazing! Let's do all this stuff. It'll be so much fun." Had a lot mm-hmm. of fun making it, which is clearly there in the film. Clearly, everyone had a lot of fun making mm-hmm. this movie, yeah. Which I think makes for an entertaining movie if you mm-hmm. just want that. But that's nowhere near enough for me. Mm-hmm. Like nowhere near enough with the Train Spotting sequel. Um, so I'm genuinely, I don't just dislike this movie. I'm pissed off with this movie. <laughs> right. I'm really fucking pissed off with it. And having the goal to then end it with Lust for Life and him dancing and then to change that to Prodigy as if that means something. <laughs> it's like you're just you're trying to make me feel like this all means something in this movie when it means nothing. Like nothing means anything in this movie. It mm-hmm. feels completely disposable. Um, yeah, and I fucking hate it. <laughs> I really hate it. And for a long time in the movie, I didn't hate it. I was just mm-hmm. like, there has to be a point to this. There has mm-hmm. to be a heart and a soul that's no heart and soul for me mm-hmm. the the closest it comes to that is spud like he is the most mm-hmm. heart and soul in this movie yeah and they don't do enough with him no they don't really do that um so my sp- score for this i don't even know i don't know and it's hard because yes is it a better made film than trance yes is it a better made film than millions honestly don't know yeah <laughs> maybe um 
but it's I feel it's the worst he's treated something mm. in his entire career mm. um, so I don't know I can't give it a score yet but you can join us next time Yay. <laughs> on this come fun come back podcast. and find out yeah. where we'll be going through everything uh, very briefly again picking out well, should we decide what we're going to pick out let's definitely pick out our favourite lead character mm-hmm. uh, spoilers it's spud Uh, we'll at least pick out our favorite lead character we'll obviously pick out our list of favorites to least favorite films Mm -hmm. um our most danny boyle film yeah maybe yeah like in terms of his traits like our most and least danny boyle films what else would be fun what other stuff they do a lot best song yeah Yeah. like our favorite song from all of them yeah that's a good one we should pick out that stuff so yeah we'll do that our next podcast we'll probably throw in a few more topics um, that'll be a much shorter one. This has been a long podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but it was the last one. We've got through all 12 of his movies. If he makes another one, we'll probably join up and do that one. Thank you for sticking with us on this ride. We hope you've been watching them along with us. Or if not, maybe feel incentivized to go and check some of them out again. Yep. Um, you can also tune into our other podcast. We have a weekly podcast. This week we were talking about Logan and we do our spoiler free and then completely spoilers <laughs> review of that movie, albeit sleepily because it was like three in the morning. <laughs> very early um late early. so just go to itunes type in we are geeks we are geeks will pop up subscribe give us a rating uh, please and you'll get this then we're going to go into twin peaks podcast we have some horror a nightmare on street going on right now and adrian's just started his hollywood and wine podcast which is going to be a special cast for a bit and it's been off into its own channel where he's talking about industry stuff in la more studious things than just moaning about movies <laughs> um and next week on the regular podcast, we're going to be talking about Nintendo Switch and doing a full review of that with Christopher Strafer. Uh, I've been your host, Mr. Al White. Joining me has been Haruka Abe, and you can follow her on things by going to... Uh, Haruka Abe on Facebook and Twitter, Haruka on Instagram. Smooth sailing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Ali Sue. Is that on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> I'd just like to fuck you up. Yep. Um, please go to We Are Tessellate. That's our company website. Uh, you can then branch out to all our social medias, follow us on stuff, send us emails, let us know if you want things formatted in a different way. We do all this for free because we're crazy people. Um, and we are making movies out of LA, London, and Tokyo. Till next time, we're out. Bye. Bye. No, adios. Adios. <laughs> What's Japanese for bye? Bye bye. Is it really? Yeah, bye bye. Yeah, bye bye. It's just bye bye. Well, there's several so much ways cuter. of saying it. It's bye bye. There's several. I want a Japanese this. way. What's that? Well, bye bye is Japanese. Bye bye. Sayonara is. <laughs> no, you're asking her and then is telling it? her no. You're wrong. <laughs> bye is not Japanese. No, but I mean bye bye is is that. So why is it then? No, I'm just interested. Like you know, like a Japanese word for bye bye. I say bye bye. Okay. But that's a Western word, isn't it? Or is that probably? But you know, we're good at taking something Western and. Japanese-ifying. I think you find yeah. the West is much better at taking <laughs> Japanese things and Westifying it. But okay, didn't see many English Japanese restaurants when I was in Japan. Yeah, because English food sucks. It's true. It's true. No, it's true. <laughs> English heritage food sucks. Yeah, yeah. exactly. There is great food in I mean. England, but yeah. English heritage yeah. food sucks. That's like what I meant. In agreement. Cookies. Uh, speaking of which, we have food, and we've got to go get ready for our Milan Rouge. And this is still recording. Yay! Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> You request you that's I did what request the I'm really sad I didn't record the entirety of that. And I just cut the tail end of you going. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
percolating <laughs> to the fucking 